Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today, we are joined by Mia Sakai and Tim Hannafin, owners of Andalay Market, the fan-favorite bodega with swag that opened this past December 2020. Andalay offers a curated selection of goods on the go, from pantry items you never knew you needed to gourmet chocolate bars, puzzles, pretty pink dog poop bags, soup kits, and more at 5232 North Clark. Welcome, Mia and Tim. How are you both today? We're good. Thanks so much for having us on. Thank you for being here this morning, live from Andalay, it looks like. Can you both start by telling us a little bit about each of your backgrounds and where you're originally from? Yeah, sure. I'll jump in. So I'm originally from the Bay Area in California. Uh, I grew up just north of San Francisco. And um, then I moved to New York City for college and uh, basically stayed there for 16 years before relocating here to Chicago a couple years ago. Um, I'm from a small town in Northeastern Wyoming called Gillette. Um, After high school, I moved to Chicago to go to um, undergrad at the University of Chicago. Uh, Then I moved to New York for 10 years where I met Mia. And um, do you want to talk about career too? Or should we just talk about where we're from? Yeah, you're welcome to. We'll talk about your career a little bit if you'd like. So my background is not in retail or food at all. Um, I studied economics in college and then uh, started my career on Wall Street during the financial crisis. Um, Stayed there for about five years and then started a software development firm. Um, launched an app on the App Store, um, and then came back to University of Chicago to study uh, computational analysis and public policy. So I'm pretty far out of my wheelhouse, but I'm loving what I'm doing here. So <laughs> We're pretty opposite, I'd say. Um, so yeah, whereas Tim is more mathematical and scientific, I'm definitely more on the uh, creative side. Um, my background is mostly in uh, art direction, design, uh, which sort of covers branding and, um, you know, identity, logos, um, different marketing ideas, and also um, events. And how did you two meet? We met, actually, so funny enough, um, when, let's say in 2009, I was doing my first pop-up shop which was a um, build as the world's first green bodega. So it had all different types of bodega items, foods, uh, snacks, drinks, similar to what we have, as well as like, you know, toilet paper and I don't know, things such as- <laughs> Like green, green items for everyday essentials. Right, basically. that were like, um, yeah, that were sort of like the eco-friendly versions of the typical things you would find in a bodega. So I was looking for a location in New York to, to do the pop-up and um, ended up meeting with a friend of mine who owned a building. And on the bottom floor, there was like vacant retail space and above it were apartment buildings. So we set up this meeting and uh, Tim ended up coming to the meeting because he was living in this building. And they had run into each other like on the sidewalk and then David, who was a very sort of eccentric New York character, was like, oh, just come with me to, uh, to meet this girl. So anyways, so we ended up going to this meeting and I was like, why, 
why did you bring your lawyer with you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a much different look at the time. I didn't have the mustache. Yeah, it's far preppier. Um, so that's how we ended up meeting. <laughs> and Mia, tell us a little bit, you know, you've kind of, you know, worked with a lot of companies and kind of gotten to travel around the world a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done before opening Angolay? Yeah. Um, so largely I've worked in like, um, as a marketing consultant, art director, um, for different companies, uh, that includes like Bloomberg, the Dow Jones, Wall Street Journal. Um, and I also used to work on TV commercials as like a wardrobe stylist. So everything that I've done has sort of always been in the creative world, just coming at it from different angles. Um, I've always pretty much worked for myself. So I've been an independent contractor for 12 years, I'd say. Um, and yeah, it's been like a, a hodgepodge of different types of projects. I opened a consulted on a restaurant that opened in Cleveland this past summer that was a part of the Kempton Hotel. Um, but everything's always been around, I'd say, creating a brand, building a brand, um, sort of from the ground up and, you know, aesthetically as well as what it means to experience that. I mean, that's so fascinating. So, I mean, it, it's making a lot more sense, I think, for me, too, to understand all that you've come from, because Andalay is so curated and perfectly put together um, that you're immediately at ease when you're in the shop. So what can you tell us about the name Andalay Market? Where did you come up with it? And is there a story behind that? So the name, actually, I feel like the best name things sort of come quicker, like more quickly. It's like the ones that you labor over don't end up ever being that great but Andale was one of those things that was like what would you name like a little bodega that has like just sort of quick grab and go things and the first thing was like oh Andale like hurry up let's go <laughs> um so that sort of just like that stuck it made the most sense to us um I like that it's sort of playful uh, the first thing that my mother said was, you know, people are just going to call it Andale, <laughs> which we definitely get all the time, but um, there is the accent on top of the A, so. <laughs> I think Andale also kind of, so we moved from New York. Bodegas are a very Latino community thing. I mean, from its name, from its cons, from, from the way it's named. Um, so I think Andale is a little bit of a, a nod to to where this idea came from um and i think that you know we're because of the pandemic we're in a time now where people don't really want to go into a store and linger for a long time and so that idea of you know grab it and go hurry up let's go um kind of fits fits with what we're trying to do here well i'm curious to know you know we met when we were working on 2019 Midsummer Fest, and you had, you know, for the win, um, you know, and this, it was just like, so refreshing. It was just like the most amazing curated, refreshing booth. And it was such a pleasure to meet you, to meet you, um, to meet you then. But what kind of drew you to, you know, coming to Andersonville, 
finding out about Midsummerfest, working Midsummerfest, and then eventually opening up um, Andalay in Andersonville? So I think when we moved to Chicago, I saw an opportunity that wasn't there in New York, which was to open a store. Just, I think logistically, financially, it's much more viable to start a business here in Chicago. Um, so I kind of just started you know, being new to the city, I would go around and explore different neighborhoods. Um, so I would just sort of find a place on a map and like go there and walk around um, and sort of hit all these different neighborhoods. I think for me, Andersonville made me feel kind of at home, like the most out of any neighborhood in the city. Um, the energy of it and sort of the foot traffic, all of the smaller businesses that are on North Clark and on the side streets as well, it just sort of had this sense of community that um, resonated with me. So for me, it was like Anderson or bust, basically. <laughs> this is the only neighborhood that I even uh, ever considered opening a shop. I think another thing that was really appealing to us about Andersonville was that um, it came with its own set of characters and like a diverse crew, um, living, you know, we lived in the East Village and, and Lower East Side and that area is full of characters and people that don't, you know, necessarily fit in in, in other neighborhoods, um, that have been more gentrified or taken over by Walgreens and banks. Um, so there's a really unique aspect to Andersonville where, you know, sometimes we describe it as like Main Street, Middle America with his walking strip, but the better version, because you've got all of these like interesting creative people that are willing to live their lives somewhat outside the bounds. And I think we, that kind of resonated with us. And we, it's a place that we thought we could build a community of people like us, um, that we wanted to be around and that we could invest in and stay here for, for some time. So you took over, you know, you moved into the former Tilly space in Andersonville. Was that the size of space you were looking for? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just such a cute, quaint it's so size. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so small. Um, yeah. I think because our frame of reference is New York, everything there is just, it's tight. So we're kind of used to that. The restaurants are small, the shops are small, the apartments are tiny, <laughs> like everything is just sort of on this scale that's a little bit more intimate. Um, so I think when we were starting this, it sort of felt like the right size um, to, you know, to put everything that we wanted to do into it. I think now that we're starting to see the reception to it and starting to dream a little bit bigger about next steps and what we want to grow Andalite into, um, you know, I think possibly a bigger location might be <laughs> more, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it might suit us better. Um, but for the time being, I think really focusing and doing something well, um, doing something small well was sort of like the goal. Um, and I think had we been in a, a bigger space, it's harder to, to sort of, it's like, you're grown too fast, you know, we kind of wanted to like be able to like keep it focused, keep it tight uh, and do, do it just the best that we could. And I think, yeah. I think it's a great size for 
you know, the first house that you um, buy doesn't have to be a McMansion. And I think this, this um, size of shop really suited us. You know, it's very curated. Every shelf has been, we have to take every square foot into consideration and figure out what goes there and does it work for us? Does it work for our customers? And so having the constraints of this tiny space has really forced us to think about every part of our business and, and how to make it work. Yeah, and to like be selective, um, you know, almost to like a fault, so. Um, yeah, that actually segues really well into this next question. So can you tell us a little bit about the build out in that small space? We know you did the shelving and the slate wall yourself, and there's a video on your Instagram. What was that process like to just design the space? I think if you, you like read one too many DIY blogs, you get a little <laughs> overly ambitious and think, well, shit, I can do that. Um, so that's essentially what happened. I think when we started the space, like it felt because of the size, it was manageable in our minds to be able to transform it into something that we wanted to share and that fit the idea of what Andalay is. So yeah, we did everything from, you know, redoing the entire floor, laying all the tiles ourselves, getting all the materials from around the city, bringing them, like strapping them to like the top of our car, <laughs> literally, um, bringing them to the shop, you know, putting everything together, learning how to cut baseboard, trim, make built-in shelves, like, you know, you name it. Um, I would have to say that the biggest um, help that we had throughout this entire process was the Chicago Tool Library, um, which is an amazing, amazing resource. Um, you know, they have a bunch of like, I don't know, over any tool that you would ever need to do any type of job. Project. Yeah, so the Chicago Tool Library is a fantastic resource. One of the women that runs it, her name's Tessa, and she uh, was just a huge, huge help to us. So basically, I think it's in Bridgeport and you can become a member. Uh, it's a, like a suggested donation to become a member. Um, for a year and then you're able to reserve and check out any tool that they have for whatever project you're doing and that can be something as small as like making a spice rack or like building an entire shop so they have all different types of tools that you know really just can help you like do whatever project you're looking to tackle it was enormously helpful because not all of us just have you know saw horses and with like big circular saws, like hanging out around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it brought the cost down too. It would have, we would have had to buy thousands of dollars worth of tools that we would, you know, would have used for three months and then gotten rid of. So just in terms of being able to get up and running quickly, just drive down to Bridgeport yeah. and pick up that, I don't know, impact driver <laughs> that you need once. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They were super helpful and, and very kind. Too. Yeah, so, so friendly. So like massive shout out to Chicago Tool Library because we love them. We couldn't have done it without them. I mean, and that's amazing. I mean, and then you were able to do this during a pandemic as well. So it's not like, you know, you were able to kind of keep yourselves kind of safe working on this together. And, you know, otherwise you'd have contractors in and out and, and, and all of that. 
yeah, um, that was definitely a part of it. And I mean, a large part was just budget too. Like, you know, how can we get this open and going for as little money as possible, um, but also make it look as great as possible. So the, in terms of the aesthetic and the build of it, you know, I think the, the one main thing we wanted to do with the space was to like open it up and just make it feel bright and welcoming and approachable. I think the last thing you want to do is buy like great snacks from like a dirty, dingy place. So a big part was just to, you know, make it feel like clean and inviting. Uh, and so you could also just like discover things. I mean, and right now, you know, you're, you're, you know, the amount of people allowed in the shop is limited. Um, but I can imagine like, had you opened in non-pandemic times that, and how crowded our shops get during heavy, heavy shopping weekends, I'm sure like it would start to feel a little overwhelming and, and claustrophobic at times. Cause I, I could imagine if this were not a pandemic season that it would be packed in there regularly on the weekends. <laughs> gets pretty busy it gets pretty yeah busy. since we are technically considered grocery we're able to allow a higher uh, percentage of customers into the shop but uh you know and i i do i i actually really love it when it's busy and you can feel the energy of the people in here and everyone's sort of discovering something new and um now that we have regulars that come into the shop you also see people sort of unexpectedly like bump into their neighbors and you know it's really it's nice to sort of be a, a place for people to meet up as well even though we're so small <laughs> and speaking of regulars our very own David Oaks I feel like is your most regular biggest fan maybe he's pretty <laughs> consistent yeah <laughs> yeah I mean you just have so many different things to look at I stopped in and was able to grab a soup kit that was just a lifesaver especially when you're trying to juggle dinner and a toddler Things like that make dinner super easy. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. She is too, I guess. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about the, the curated products folks can expect to find when they step inside the shop and how you go about you know, finding your inventory, changing it up. I know oftentimes you know, um, you'll have a product and then it'll get swapped out by a different product. What's your thought process behind it all? So I think we're, we're trying to bring in things that you wouldn't find everywhere. You're not gonna find our products at Jewel besides maybe Heinz ketchup and Diet Coke, which I insisted on having both of those products. But we want people to be surprised and also to find our products approachable and a decent price point. Um, so we, we bring in a lot of international stuff. We bring in um, a lot of stuff from smaller makers across the US. Um, we have kind of a health, both like a healthy bent and a non-healthy bent so that like you can get a little, we cater to a lot of diets and then we have those items that, um, you know, are legally addictive and you need to stop in for three bags of cookies a week. So we try to, we try to tell the line between health and um, health and fun uh international and domestic a lot of local makers like um people that started at um the farmer's market here um and th so that's what's happening on the food side i think mia can speak to kind of what's happening in the lifestyle section um what do you think 
Um, so I know that you were going to talk about for the win a little bit, but for the win was sort of my the iteration before Onalay, which was more focused on home and lifestyle goods. Um, so that's sort of a big part of the contribution here. That you know, I think when you come into the shop, it's always like when we introduce ourselves and uh, to new customers. We always describe ourselves as a curated bodega um, that has like unique and unusual food finds and then a little bit of everything for pet, body, and home. So that's sort of the general gist of what we are. Um, the home goods and pet things, you know, are just sort of things that I love. I, I don't really have a good, good answer for this. Maybe we cut this part out. <laughs> um, no, I think it's great. I mean, everyone needs those beautiful blush pink poop bags. I know I certainly did. So I mean, we use them for our <laughs> yeah, so for our puppy. They're the best. They're the best. best. And they open really easily. Like you know how most poop bags, you have to like spit and lick or whatever. People do. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good thing when you're licking and spitting and picking up dog food during so. COVID, right? Especially during COVID. <laughs> part of it is that everything that we have serves a purpose they're all functional items. So for us, like that's a really, for me personally, that's a really important thing. I don't necessarily in my personal life buy really anything that feels frivolous. I think everything that I own has and serves a purpose. If on top of that purpose, it is also aesthetically pleasing or extremely cool, like I'm 100% in. I think design in itself can just transform any usual product into something really extraordinary. So I think some, something that's just well-designed, well thought out, looks amazing and is also functional is, is really uh, the goal. Do you both have a particular product that's a favorite um, that you know that you'll want to kind of always keep in stock in the shop? That's besides the Diet Coke, besides the Diet Coke, <laughs> like obviously. <laughs> we actually have a fair amount of those things, I'd say. We do. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll never get rid of QP mayonnaise. <laughs> we'll never get rid of, I, there are so many things. Like if I, if I'm ever to make pizza dough in the future, I'm going to use the double O flour and the yeast that I have on the shelves. If I ever need a Cypress flake salt, I'm going to use the jar that I have here. So the, these are stuff, this is stuff that like is in our fridge now that we use on a daily basis. And so I think some of those will stay. Um, I think we're rotating out like nut butters, for example, where you, we have a West Coast brand now. We've gotten recommendations from customers about a Chicago-based nut, um, nut butter company. So some of the things that are more staples, we, we might try to rotate out towards, um, you know, Chicago or Midwest, um, Midwest vendors. Um, but yeah i think part of it part of the reason why our customers come back frequently is for that element of surprise and discovery i think that's sort of where we started with them and um, to be able to to keep giving them something that feels like oh i haven't seen this before and feels new and exciting is a part of like what we both sort of love when we're buying for the shop um because there's always that sort of element of discovery.
But then there are absolutely certain things that now, you know, our customers are very uh, committed to coming in and getting. And we have customers that will just come in for that one thing. They don't take a look around at anything else and they get three bags of that one thing. Um, and so those things like we always want to have on hand. So it's sort of, you know, we're, we're new to this. So we're also like learning the process, like, you know, what, what are our staples and what is sort of considered seasonal product or rotating product, and, you know, what's the balance between those two things. Um, so yeah, it's all a learning process. And I know you sort of started to touch on this, but you've brought in a lot of local and independently owned makers to highlight at Andale, such as Carl's Craft Soup, Long Table Pancakes, Squishy Face Dog Treats, and a personal favorite, Downstate Donuts, the Tots. Do you have any stories or anecdotes when connecting with these business owners about the exhilarating process of starting your own business? And how did you connect initially? I know Carl's Craft Soup is at our farmer's market, Long Table Pancakes was for a while too. Squishy Face is owned um, locally as well. Uh, the owner actually works with cowboys and astronauts too. So how did you connect to everyone? So for Carl's um, and Long Table Pancakes, those are both recommendations um, from our customers. So, you know, being, when we first opened, a big part of what we wanted to do was to be here for the neighborhood and the community. So we would, we still always say this, like, give us your suggestions. What would you like to see on the shelves? We want to be here for you. Um, so those were both sort of um, suggested to us. I think there, there's like a lot of neighborhood love for um, all of these companies um, here. So that's, that's sort of how that started with Carl's and also Long Table Pancakes. Obviously, uh, Virgil with Downstate Donuts, we see him out on the weekends here with the donut trike. And, um, you know, for sure, there's been a couple weekends where we've <laughs> gotten our fair share of donuts and love them so much. So we wanted to um, bring him into the shop too. And um, he actually developed the donut tots uh, specifically for our shop. So we're the only ones um, really, I guess, in the world to have downstate donut tots, which is pretty awesome. Um, I think one interesting thing about getting to know these local makers is it, it puts a face behind the brand. Um, you know, looking at a label on a shelf, you don't get a sense of who's behind it. And so now we get to see the owners showing up with dark circles under their eyes. Um, you know, Virgil has a very strange sleep schedule. Um, we have another maker, um, Bobby Chang, who makes uh, season sparkling that, um, you know, brings the cases up himself. Um, sometimes Carl meets us for the pickup on soups. Like, you really get, you see the person behind the brand, see how hard they're working, kind of, you're able to commiserate with them through this pandemic time and, and kind of biding your time until summer and all of us have the vaccine. So it's really helped to put um, a face behind the brands and, and make the business dealings a lot more human. And it makes, I mean, you know, I think it makes us want to be able to also support these companies as well. Um, you know, they're coming up and we're coming up and, um, I think that it sort of drives us to want to support them more. And when 
we're able to also share their stories then with our customers and community, then um, that's sort of a win all around. Yeah, and it takes such a hustle to kind of get into places and get on shelves. And, you know, I'm sure they're so grateful to have you and, and you both in the shop to be able to showcase these products that they've worked so hard on. Yeah, the grocery game is, uh, we still don't fully know it, but it's a very uh, unique kind of bizarre world <laughs> as far as I know. Like there's a lot of smaller brands that it's very competitive and extremely difficult to get picked up say nationwide um, mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to buy shelf space sometimes you have to just legitimately donate product mm -hmm. um, so you're really not making any money and in exchange you're getting exposure um, that is obviously a, a not sustainable as a business owner so we're really excited to be able to you know provide a space for them to share their products and I'm, I'm definitely one of those shoppers that kind of is always drawn to the new product. Like every city I go to, when I used to be able to go places, I would have to visit every single shop and look for the new product. So that's why I appreciate Andale so much. And I'm, I'm a big beverage buyer. So if you're going to put a pretty can in a fridge, <laughs> like, it's like you have, you have an immediate buyer in me. So I've certainly appreciated that assortment because if you haven't stopped by our listeners that haven't stopped by and kind of even checked out the kombucha selections and sparkling water selections, like just the packaging alone is worth the, the price of the can. So they're all really delicious products. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's more expensive than say just like a diet Coke would be, but you know, you are essentially helping to support a smaller brand and a smaller maker and a more artisanal product. Um, and a part of it is really like, you know, you kind of pay for what you get. So there is like a, a quality component as well. And I know we have a, we have a question about, on here of, of how many condiments uh, you have currently in the store. <laughs> Were uh, you able to give us a ballpark number? <laughs> I had ballpark. So we have, let me just look over here. I've got one, two, three, four, I'd say five shelves with 10 each. So we'll say 50 conservatively but by the end of the week that could be 70 it's like always in flux and um yeah it's it's wonderful i mean so we get every time something comes in we take a bottle home <laughs> and our fridge now is just just condiments <laughs> it's, a, it's a condiment forest that you have to like weave your hand to the back of the shelf to find an egg <gasps> Um, no produce, no, no protein, yeah. just condiments. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's funny because that's actually one of our, well, we'll revisit that for one of our rapid fire questions. But yeah, I was going to say condiments made a great stocking stuffer, I will have to say during the holidays because who doesn't want hot sauce in their stocking or, you know, I think I got the cat ghost pepper. Yeah. yeah. That one's good. It is really spicy though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think part of it, like opening in a pandemic was, you know, everyone at this point has been sort of like cooking, been cooking the same thing, doing the same thing, watching the same things. And like, how do you sort of shake up your routine a little bit? What can you do? And so a part of that is through, I think, 
food and what you can eat and definitely you can like liven up your typical like you know veg and protein meal with like a new condiment and sort of reinvent it and becomes maybe exciting again and i will say that you know people people say that the midwest doesn't like flavors doesn't like heat it's not true <laughs> i think the first like within the first week we had people lining up at our hot sauce shelf looking for new things and that's still been a big area for us. Like people, people want that flavor. They want the heat. They want to try new things. So and a diversity of of like cultural cooking items too. Right, right. Yeah, like Japanese barbecue sauce or Sichuan chili oil. Or um, I have a hot sauce from a migrant farm worker in South Texas. Like they want those different international flavors, and they want something other than what they've already tried. I was going to say something to enliven the casserole. Right. <laughs> exactly. We had somebody come in. They made, um, we'll probably all remember this from elementary school, but tater tot casserole. And what did they, I think they put the Sichuan chili oil on it. And they said it was wonderful. So there are always new things to be tried. In February, I really enjoyed how on your Instagram, you were able to profile uh, for Black History Month, the different uh, Black-owned businesses and kind of give us a little bit more about each business owner and the products you carry at Andalay. Can you tell us a little bit more about these companies specifically and how you found them and connected and why you feel like their product is so awesome? I think like the, the first thing that we look for is, is it a great product? Like that's always just number one. Is this something that we think is delicious? That's awesome. That's unique. So that's, you know, first sort of bit of criteria I've always enjoyed like the like Tim said the sort of story behind the brand I think that they're I'm always curious about like the makers the founders so we sort of once we find the product then we'll do like a little bit of digging into their story um, and oftentimes it's really it's really quite interesting so part of you know what we want to do is to be able to share their stories with our customers just because I think it helps to create a connection to that product. So with highlighting the different, you know, black makers um, for Black History Month, that was definitely um, fun to do. We all of our different tags, all of the different like the labels that we have for the products are marked like local or imported or female founder or a BIPOC founder. Um, if they're small batch or it also includes like dietary restrictions, like is it vegan or gluten-free, um, keto, paleo friendly. So you can really, as a consumer, take a quick glance at the price tag and also have a little bit of background information and insight into the product. I think that people really, um, and I've got to give all the credit to me on this labeling system. But I think people find that really unique and informative and people care about who and what is behind their food um, and the products that they use. So, you know, even if they're not coming in to support one group or another, I think that people really like seeing, having some information about what's behind what's behind a brand and Mia you know Mia I don't know if she's mentioned pollinate 
pollinate.org, um, was a project that Mia worked on about interviewing the people behind brands and how they got started and, you know, what life is like as an entrepreneur and how you do this. And I think, so she's always had an interest in starting something, <laughs> starting something in the face, the faces behind it. And I think people can really connect to the products that we have and, and the stories behind them if, if they have that information. So. Yeah, I mean, and that's certainly something that, you know, Joel and I can kind of attest to with this, you know, the reasons behind our neighborhood guide, the reasons for this podcast is, you know, we wanted to be able to showcase our businesses and, and show their faces and tell their stories. And when you're up against, you know, Amazon, you know, when people can just buy, you know, that was the whole impetus for kind of making the shift that we did um, and going more advertorial forward with the neighborhood guide and, um, and why, you know, we've kept up we've kept up these podcasts and made sure that, you know, we are highlighting the people behind our businesses and what makes it, what makes this district so wonderful. So. I think being able to connect, uh, to see the whole story, to connect the face and the brand and to your story is really, uh, pretty awesome. Well, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. I think so. <laughs> All right. So we like to kind of close out our episode this way. Um, just to kind of get to know you both a little bit more. So the first one up is off the top of your head, favorite brand that inspires you right now. And it doesn't matter what type of product you go first. Um, this isn't as rapid as I expected it to be. <laughs> one thing I'm really excited about right now is um, Suavina. So we have a hand lotion and also a lip balm from Suavina, which is a brand that started in Spain in 1880. They've had the exact same formula since 1880. It's been unchanged and it's sort of a magical lip and hand balm. It's very, very difficult to find in the US. And um, actually one of our Spanish customers um, helped us bring them into the shop. Um, and mine right now I think is Tulip Tree Creamery. They're based out of Indianapolis. Uh, it's a woman owned um, creamery that's doing handmade beautiful cheeses that is just one step above anything that you would find uh, pre-cut in any grocery store so we have like a triple cream we have a brie. triple cream brie from them so. nice all right david wrote this in here your favorite cool shit shop so like this this is the store that you that you know that inspires you that you would go back to it can be anywhere in the u.s it can be anywhere besides Envelay. This is an easy one for me. Regular Visitors, uh, which is, was in Brooklyn, was definitely one of my favorite shops. It was, in a sense, like a, a magazine shop slash bodega without the food type of store. Um, and sadly it closed uh, in 2020, um, but it was definitely like one of my, my favorite places to visit and discover new products. I'm always a fan of any food market, so I'm not, I can't even put a name on it, but I can spend hours in a grocery store where nobody else could. So like even Hong Kong Mart, which is quite close to us, um, I love just going through and looking at labels like a library and daydreaming about what to cook. Favorite Instagram account to follow right now? Andale Market. I think they're doing really good content. <laughs> I, I don't use I don't use social media, so Mia will have to will have to chime in for both of us. I think it's 
by Shania Brown, I want to say, um, who is sort of a mixed media type of artist. Um, he does like a lot of references to street culture in a sense and popular culture. He makes these amazing like handmade rugs that are CDs, like look like CDs, like it's Sade's Love Deluxe or um, Daft Punk. It's, they're just really cool. And then I also love CJ Henry, who is uh, an artist. I think she's Australian. She's based in, in New York and she does these super hyper-realistic um, hand-drawn pencil um, pieces of art, which are just phenomenal uh, and blow your mind. <laughs> All right, so favorite music genre for inspiration. So let's say when you were building those shelves, what was playing in the background? We do a lot of like, I'd say 90s hip hop um, in the shop. I think that that's in part to like, just evoke this feeling of like uh, our, you know, the ultimate ode to a New York bodega. Um, so yeah, that's a big part of it. And then we, I don't know, it's all over the place. Uh, oldies, some soul like a little 90s alternative music um, 70s rock steady yeah a little Dion back in the day <laughs> yeah some slime in the morning to get it going yeah well you know chili peppers i'm from california it just it runs the gamut but it's probably nothing past like 2000 <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you need to set up an on spotify playlist for us all so we can like go throughout our day just being <laughs> happy and inspired by all those tunes. That's definitely in the works. I, I would love to sort of create a, a playlist, you know, for season that sort of puts you, puts you in the mood and the vibe to just eat some good snacks and hang out. <laughs> well, I think we already know the answer maybe to this one, but East Coast or West Coast? That is actually a tough question, particularly for me. Yeah, I think it's both. How about uh, No Coast? Is that where, that's technically where we are now? The Fresh Coast, I think, is maybe what we're called in the Midwest, the Fresh Coast. <laughs> but yeah, that's okay. You can you can take a graceful no answer on that one. How about you, Tim? Do you have an answer? I would have to go no coast as well, just because I'm from the mountain region. You know, that the mountains are my home. Um, I love living in New York. I think California and the West Coast is wonderful. But if I'm at home, I'm somewhere in the mountains so great and what is um what's your favorite snack food anything salty for me i really am um i'm more of like a deep fried and salted up type of person than i am like chocolate and sweets uh and for me i'm a sweets person dark chocolate um dark chocolate with nuts dark chocolate on crackers things like that. <laughs> Amazing. I think we kind of answered the next question because it's a, the next one was a go-to taste sensation. Are you salty, sweet, umami, sour, or bitter? Do you have a, do you have one that stands out? Are you still salty on that one, Mia? Salty and umami. Okay. Firmly. And I would say, I would agree with that actually. Salty and umami, even though I love sweets, um, salt, umami, and heat. Mm -hmm. But you're also a chef. I think that applies more to food and snack. Perhaps. It's two different things for me. Yeah. 
few different things. Well, um, you know, how can folks find you? What is your Instagram? You know, I'll, I'll talk about your website, but um, you know, how can folks kind of support you and, and tell us a little bit more about that? There's not much happening on the website. That's just a holding page. <laughs> uh, we do have plans to like fully launch an online world at some point. Um, but our Instagram handle is on the market. Um, that's probably the easiest way to sort of see what we're doing in the shop and new things that are coming out. Um, yeah, and really just like come in and if you haven't already and please, we'd love to meet you um, and show you around, help you find your new favorite thing that you didn't know existed. Um, and if you, if you do find that new favorite thing, please tell your friends and neighbors and you know. Yeah, the other thing that <laughs> off the top of my head um we always ask people when they come in like what do you want to see on the shelves um do you have any brand you know do you have to run across town now to get something that maybe we could bring into the store um what do you need what do you like um and so that that kind of feedback or input from our from our customers is really important to us in fact that's how we found some of the most you know popular and and um in-demand products in our store. So we love hearing that. We also accept negative feedback if it comes around. Luckily we haven't um, gotten too much of that, but that would be welcome as well. So yeah, stop into the store, tell your friends, follow us on social media and um, just keep coming back because we're bringing new stuff in all the time. I, yeah, and I think the main thing is like, this is your store. It's you know, it's not ours necessarily. It's it's here for the community, for the neighborhood. We just feel so lucky to be a part of it. Well, we're so lucky to have you truly. I think it has filled such a great need in the neighborhood. And we know that we as a staff are personally super excited that it's across the street from our office. So um, we just can't wait for everyone else to discover Andalay as well. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mia and Tim for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Andalay Market, you can visit their website at andalaymarket.com. And as Mia said, more information is coming soon. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.